Ineffably Yours, Part 1, by Secondhand News. Read by Symphonic D. Chapter 36, Aurora. January 2020. Solitanger, Iceland. In Estonia, they believe the northern lights are horse-drawn carriages making their way across the sky to celestial weddings. Can you imagine? Aziraphale took a sip of the whiskey-spiked hot chocolate and passed the thermos back to Crowley. Giving heaven a bit much credit, aren't they? The demon wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and dug the thermos into the snowdrift beside them. They had been sitting in the yawning doorway of the broken-down stone house for hours, staring up at the night and hoping for a glimpse of that elusive light show that blooms like a dancer tiptoeing across the sky. In Japan, they say the lights are an eternal war between good and evil dragons, rising up into the night to battle it out. Crowley exhaled a foggy breath and turned to Aziraphale, laughing as tendrils of cool air dissipated around them like smoke. Snakes, dragons, not that different. You spent so much time here before, Aziraphale said, struck suddenly by the gaps in his knowledge about Crowley's activities before the arrangement, when their paths only crossed by chance every few centuries. There's so much of you that I missed. Oh yes, met a fine young boy called Eagle gave him his first beer. He smiled to himself, remembered placing the flagon in the hand of a boy who went on to become immortalized as one of Iceland's most fearsome warriors and its most famous drunk. I was a raven for a bit, something of a scout, you might say. Plenty of opportunity for mischief when the Vikings were around. Never a dull moment. And the lights? They appeared often. The angel pushed him to continue leaning back on his elbows and watching Crowley's face move as he spoke, illuminated by nothing other than millennia-old starlight. Did I love you already, he wondered, when this light began its journey through the galaxy? When they wanted to. Sometimes I wouldn't see them for weeks, then every day for a fortnight. Always when I least expected them. They like to surprise you, the lights, but they're stubborn, too. A lot like her, really. The thermos had run dry, and Aziraphale snoozed softly on his shoulder when Crowley saw the first tendrils of green light reach out across the sky, like fingers beckoning him home. Angel, he murmured, gently shaking Aziraphale awake. They're here. Gasping at the joy of finally experiencing the only natural wonder he had yet to witness, Aziraphale felt silent to his own thoughts as he watched the lights dance far above them. Next to him, Crowley looked up at the sky and let his mind wander to a time so many thousands of years before. Before Eden, before he fell for Aziraphale, before he fell at all, incidentally. They're a bit small, don't you think? Ariel wrinkled their nose, watching Crowley as he came walking through trees that barely reached the top of his shoulders. Trying something a little bit different, he explained, running a hand across the soft treetops letting the new leaves tickle his palm. There are places where they could roam the forest for months and never see every tree. In some places, the treetops will stretch up to the sky if they let them. Here, they'll never lose themselves in the forest, unless they want to. And how would they possibly lose themselves among these little... trees, you called them? They just have to sit down. He grinned swept one hand over a bare trunk and watched slim branches push their way out and fork upwards, green leaves blooming despite the darkness. 
He took a step back to admire his handiwork, the last opportunity for creativity on the sprawling mass of rock he had breathed life into. Snapping his fingers as a last swell of inspiration struck, the color in the tree trunk strained away until they were bleached white, standing tall like skeletons silhouetted in the night. Angels! Raphael's voice rang out, and the two angels followed the echo until the archangel came into sight, a pale glow emanating from them to light the way. Our work here is finished. Is she pleased? Crowley asked, glancing back at his final offering to Earth. He wondered if Uriel was right. Maybe they were a little small. If she wasn't, dear one, I think we would know. Raphael laid a hand on his cheek, smiling kindly. The three ethereal beings wandered across the cliffs in what would have been peaceful silence if it wasn't punctuated by questions every few steps. What's next, then? When do they get here? Who are they, anyway? Has she created them? Will we stay here to guide them? Somebody needs to look after them, don't they? I could do it. I could teach them how to care for the forest. Uriel had stamped on ahead, hands clasped firmly over their ears to drown out the sound of Crowley's stream of consciousness. Raphael turned, and even their usually patient smile was looking a little strained around the edges. Not that Crowley noticed, too caught up in his thoughts of the Almighty's plans for the planet he had spent so long decorating. If I promise to put in a good word, will that help? You know, Raphael, I think it might. Crowley walked next to the Archangel, wondering how it must feel to be so utterly unshakable in both belief and conviction, while his own thoughts zipped from idea to idea, filling his head with questions until the weight of them felt impossible to contain. There was a peace that radiated from Raphael, a feeling of quiet contentment. Perhaps, in time, he could learn to be like that, too, could learn to carry himself as an angel was supposed to. As the stars lit up above them, tiny pinpricks burst into life across the night sky. A group of angels stood in a cluster high above the sea and watched as the Almighty added her final flourish to the world they had helped create. It was the green they spotted first. A pale shard of light snaking across the sky like an infinite serpent. Beams of light broke off and stretched up, 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 until the emerald light appeared to drip through the darkness, painting everything in its wake. Blue came next, as bright and beautiful as the afternoon sky, the color working its way through the green until the two could have been dancing the sweetest waltz high up in the heavens. There was nothing Crowley could do but stare up at the sky full of colors above him, watching them in wonder as they weave through the night in shades of green and blue and the lightest pink, the deepest violet that transformed the sky into velvet. They shuddered across that endless expanse of blackness until they shone so brightly they appeared to paint every one of the angels standing there, their faces glowing with all the colors the Almighty had dreamed into existence. It was for them, Crowley understood, a gift for making something beautiful. She was there for a moment, within the lights. She looked down at them, across at everything they had made, and saw that it was good. And she smiled. And then she was gone. It was the last time Crowley ever saw her. She never liked to make a fuss with her exits. There one moment, gone the next, like a whisper on the wind. Sometimes it could leave you wondering if she'd ever really been there at all. Sitting side by side with the angel he had loved for so long, would love hopelessly until the end of existence. 
Curly watched the lights and thought fondly of the Almighty, the creator of every being that had been, that was, and would be. Despite everything he had endured at heaven's hands, his memory of her had never been tarnished. On the day Crowley and Raphael and Uriel stood and watched the northern lights dance above the earth for the first time, the Almighty had already begun to turn the thought to the next world. Their world, earth, lay in heaven's hands now. The angels were her dearest creation, after all, were the only ones who could be trusted to guide humanity through the loving, playful, challenging hand she had dealt them. After he fell, there was only nothing. As the nothingness stretched into unimaginable loneliness, he had wandered through the depths of hell and desperation, searching blindly for another face in the dark, for another entity that would hear his voice, would look at him and let him know he still existed. The torture, when it came, was a relief. The attempted breaking of his spirit meant he was there, at least. He had begged the Almighty for forgiveness, had sworn he would be more like the angels who remained in heaven. He had promised to change, to stop asking questions, not to tease or joke or ask why. The moment he realized he had been abandoned by the one who made him, the one he thought loved him unconditionally, was the deepest type of heartbreak he had ever suffered. What Crowley had never known was that his dedication to the Almighty had been an unexpected lifeline. Hell had thought it the perfect punishment that the fallen angel who had helped create the world should be the one to spread evil throughout it. As he gasped for air, drowning in the desolation of desertion, Hell had thrust him back into the land of the living and, contrary to their plans, straight into the arms of salvation as the Almighty looked on. She had always been the true definition of ethereal, something instinctively unknowable, something that existed in a state of absolute neutrality. She wasn't the cruel puppet master some believed her to be, but she wasn't the benevolent mother of the world either. She watched eternity unfold from behind a veil, remaining resolutely detached. She had done her part. She'd brought the world into being. That world and all the thousands of other worlds that were, as yet, unknown to each other. She returned, of course, to watch humanity take its first shaky steps across the planet. Adam, Eve, temptation, sin, the mysterious disappearance of an eager principality's flaming sword, and the moment an angel offered a demon the simple kindness of shelter from the rain. She quietly watched the beginning of everything unfold before slipping away to let all that she had conceived come to fruition.